This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On today's show, we are starting a new series. Both Rachel and I are huge fans of A24, the distributors turned producers of some of the best films of the last decade. I previously chronicled their entire history and formation back on episode 108, A History of A24 Films, and also did a top 10 episode with Royce on show number 109, both of which can be found in the show notes. But on this new series, we're going to go through A24's entire filmography, movie by movie, in order. That will be the case, save some key new ones that come out, and we'll be jumping ahead. Today, we're looking at the very first A24 release, A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III. But before we get there, how are you doing today, Rachel? I'm good, thanks, Dakota. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm really excited to be talking more A24. I know when we were chatting about it, you feel the same way, I, if I could speak for you on that. <laughs> yes, you can. I'm a huge, huge fan of A24. Um, I think it's probably one of the only studios that, if something from the studio comes out, like your your ears perk up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't really have another studio that I I think about that with, where I'm like, ooh, like they're coming out with something like that's pretty cool. But yeah. A24 definitely, I feel like Neon might be the closest one. And I know you've done another episode on Neon as well, mm-hmm. um, but they might be the other one that is like you when you hear or you see their logo, you go, oh, interesting, Neon, okay, like it makes you a bit more interested. But A24 is probably the one that like you look out for like you go oh my god the new a24 movie's coming out so you're saying you don't get excited when you see something like uh warner brothers pop up you know what unfortunately it's it's like no longer 1943 so no i'm not that excited for it um you know maybe back in the day sure but yeah well i will say i i just made my triumphant return to cinemas and saw the new A24 movie Zola and when A24, that logo popped up, I uh, I quietly clapped in my seat. <laughs> I'm also very, very jealous that you were able to go to the theater and watch yes. it. Hopefully we're able to do that soon here. Maybe, maybe the province that you live in will one day uh, join the rest of society. <laughs> God, <laughs> I just hope so. It's like all these movies that I've seen, I'm like, this would have been great in a movie theater, but hey ho, one day we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so part of this is we're really excited to, to sort of fill in our, our blind spots as far as which different A24 movies we haven't seen, but also get a chance to revisit different A24 movies that probably neither of us have had a chance to talk or write about in any sort of critical capacity. So I'm really excited for this series. And I think a fun thing is we're going to have guests on occasionally to also uh, join the show to be able to talk about some of their A24 films. And one of the things that we're going to do with them is uh, we've devised an A24 four questions. And just to kind of get to know what someone's taste is and what their thoughts are on the company as a whole. But because this is the first episode, uh, we might as well do it ourselves. So, uh, Rachel, I'm going to start with you. Question number one, what are your top three A24 films? This is a near impossible task. I'm just going to put it out there. That's it's fair. so difficult to pick just three A24 movies. Like you can whittle it down to even like, I know you, you did the top 10, like you mentioned, even that I think is so tough to do. <laughs> so I went with the three that, well, there were initially three, but one got kicked off, which I will get into with the second question. Um, but I went with Enemy, Locke and Midsommar. So Midsommar mm. is the newest one. Um, I and I only recently watched it I think in January I watched it of this year and I just love it like it's just it quickly climbed up the list of like one of my favorite movies in general 
enemy for me is just it's such a bizarre 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 movie um but it's kind of like bizarre in the way that i like movies to be bizarre uh and lock i just think it's such a unique idea like it's such a unique one-man show of tom hardy in a in a car you know going down the, the motorway and um and having all the other performances come through his speakerphone you know i i just i love that all three of those movies and and others i mean there's a lot of honorable mentions but uh yeah those are my three that i picked for now because well, i love two of your picks which okay well hold on which one don't you love lock really yeah you don't like lock no it's okay like do you actively dislike it or it's just like not one of your it's just not up there for you that is tricky uh I, i wouldn't say i actively dislike it but i would say i actively don't like it okay that's so disappointing, Dakota. <laughs> I'm I'm so I might so have worried. to I might have to end this here then. Uh, may, maybe when, what the, when what it is comes it to, what don't you like about it? It's tough because I really like the concept and I think they do a great job with creating this character arc of of a man who who is hell bent on doing the right thing even if it's the wrong thing. And I yes. really like some of the voice performances. I think they do a really good job with that. Uh, really cool that there's a, a pre-Spider-Man Tom Holland playing his son. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I, I think it's just I, I need a little bit more than just watching Tom Hardy's face, who is not the most emotive actor. Um, Fair. And and it just kind of got a little boring at certain points, especially since, like, as part of the character arc, he unfortunately has to repeat himself quite a few times to different people. And in in doing so, parts of the movie felt very repetitive for me. Fair enough. I, yeah, I, I can see that. I, I personally, I think I might, I, I, I kind of push back on the idea that Tom Hardy's not an emotive actor. I think he's not the most emotive. Obviously, we've seen others. But I think if you don't have an actor like him with the type of his level of charisma in my opinion mm-hmm. um i don't think the movie works like i actually think it would be i mean but you you found it a little boring at times because like to me i was gonna what i was gonna say was i think if you don't have him i think it could have been an incredibly just dull awkward film but because he is as good of an actor as he is um you don't need anything else like you just need the man in the car and um i also love like the story about like how they how they filmed it like it literally was just them in a car he actually had a cold which is why he was sick in mm-hmm. the, in the in the thing like he actually genuinely had a cold in real life and they just filmed it like really quickly um they just like threw some gopros up on the car and then they just kind of went down um went down the, the the highway um but yeah i i get that but what are what are your three then so you don't you didn't clearly not lock no no so unfortunately not my, my <laughs> list is actually completely separate from yours uh okay. so my number one is the last black man in san francisco my number okay. two is Moonlight, and my number three is a ghost story. Okay, so I haven't seen uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. That's been on my to watch list for a little while. Um, but yeah, I may, I mean maybe 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 Lot gets kicked off for that. <laughs> maybe I. This this includes I think two movies that I've named as uh, my favorite of the year uh, in recent years. Last Black Man and a Ghost Story were, were two of my my number one films of recent years and just two movies I really adore. And I'm, I'm, I love both of those directors. I'm very excited to see what the director of last black man, San Francisco does next uh, because he hasn't released his follow up yet, but yeah, 
moving on to question two, what was your introduction to A24? So the reason I said in the beginning, my the three movies I picked, um, so Enemy and Locke and then Midsommar, but taking Midsommar out, Under the Skin. So there was a time that a few years ago, this would have been back in probably 2014, 2015, around the time that all three of these came out. I watched each of these individually, not kind of knowing that there was any link between them whatsoever. I just watched them and in theaters and I think I caught Under the Skin. Uh, where did I watch that one? I can't remember, but I watched all three and I loved all three of them. Like they were movies that I loved in a way that I didn't typically like, it's not that I didn't, I didn't, it's not like I just enjoyed a movie. Like I really, really like kind of felt, felt them in a way. Like I felt like, like a connection to them. And then when I looked it up, I was like, oh, all three of these are from the exact same studio. And it like that surprised me because I had no idea. And then as time went on, it was like every movie that came out that I thought was really interesting and really different from everything else that was being released, A24 just kept popping up. And that's what attracted to me that to for me of just looking at them being like, wow, this studio is coming up with some of the most innovative, some of the most creative films in a landscape that at that time was getting progressively more and more superhero focused um, with the MCU and DC and, and all the other ones and all that kind of stuff. And so they really stood out to me in that sense. Um, so initially when you said like, what, when we were, I was looking at the questions, like what's your top three, I was going to choose those three enemy under the skin and lock just out of kind of a nostalgic thing, but I couldn't not put Midsommar in there, mm-hmm. but yeah, that that's my introduction to them. It was, just kind of a weird coincidence of scrolling through and every you you realize like you're seeing the same studio logo over and over mm-hmm. again um and then like i said at the very top like your ears perk up a little bit now when when you know that a24 is coming out with something new yeah i'm now at the point where i'm not surprised when it's an a24 movie because i'm actively yeah. looking forward to them it's true yeah and then you know just before we were coming on um to record here it was like we were saying how there's some movies that just feel like an A24 movie. The one that I brought up was short term 12. And it's just like somehow a studio has a feel of, Oh yeah, that that's like an A24 kind of movie, you know, which is I think unique for, for movie studios today anyways. Um, How about you? What was your introduction to A24? So yeah, I I was trying to remember and, and I can't quite place my, my, my finger on it. I feel like much like under the skin, I know I saw that, the year it came out or within, but I didn't see it right away. I didn't see it in theaters. It was, it was later on when it had come out on Netflix. I think it was also same with a most violent year. I know I, I was a fan of the director, JC Chandor, and I was really looking forward to that because I love Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain, but I didn't see it in theaters, but I know I saw in theaters, the end of the tour, the Jason Siegel movie where he plays the author, David Foster Wallace and, and Jesse Eisenberg. I, I did see that in theaters. So I, that is what I'm thinking was my first A24 movie, but depending on when it came to Netflix, possibly either A Most Violent Year or Under the Skin. So one of those is is what it was. So I, I can't quite remember it is, but it, that's what I was able to kind of approximate close enough. And then was it similar to my experience where you just kind of all of a sudden draw, like connect the dots where you're like, oh, all of these are from the exact same studio? Not even. It probably wasn't until Moonlight, if I'm being honest. Okay. I I looked back afterwards and I was like, hey, I've actually seen like 15 of their movies 
what the heck? So yeah, that, that that's what it was. And like, as soon as I, I, I realized that and put it all together, I was like, oh, this all makes so much sense. Like, yeah, I've loved like every single movie I've seen. Yeah, it's it's funny how like they very rarely miss, I think. Very mm-hmm. rarely. I mean, we're going to get into a movie that arguably does miss. But, um, you know, I, I, that's, I think that they have a pretty solid track record of even if it's not maybe your type of movie, um, it's like you can see that it's still a good movie. Like it's a well-made film. It's interesting. It's different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, it's impressive what they've been able to do. Especially, especially more recently, like I would say maybe the yeah. first two years, it's probably about 50, 50 hit or miss. But in the last like five or so years, almost every single one has been a hit. I would say probably like nine out of 10 as far as not yeah. being like a success hit, but as far as being like a very good movie. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I mean, we could probably cut a 24 bit of slack for the first couple of years too, just because they're starting to, you know, they can't be they're not choosers, you know, they kind of have to not to say that they're beggars, but to say like, you know, you're, you don't have as much power or they didn't have as much power back then as they do today, as much Mm -hmm. influence. So now they can be a lot more selective with what films they go after, knowing that the movies themselves are probably looking for a 24 to, to be bought from them. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, but whereas when they first started, yeah, it's, it's, you kind of just kind of got it to take what what's coming for you because you know you're a new studio and you you've got to make money somehow now i'm very curious about this question what your answer is going to be (laughs) what director dead or alive would make a good a24 film that they've never previously had an a24 film they don't have one lined up who would you say their style would fit seamlessly into the a24 milieu so ooh, milieu uh so i went with Well, so since you go fancy with that, um, my choice is a French director who actually passed away in 2019, so not too long ago. Uh, her name is Agnes Barda. Are you familiar oh, with her? Of course. Yes, she's an, and for those who aren't, she's, it's an incredibly like film pretentious choice. Like I'm going to own up to it right now. Like it's, it's just one of those. She is an incredibly like influential person in for the French new wave, which was a movement of film that happened in uh, Paris, but France in general in the fifties and the sixties, people who kind of marked those, that era was more Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard. Those are like probably the two most well-known directors that came out of that time period. She's always been known to be like a really experimental film director. And I think personally, it would have fit in well with what A24 is today, like this idea of doing things that are um, kind of genre mixing, very like a different perspective, things that, uh, you know, the way that she shot movies, the subjects that she was talking about were considered quite edgy back then. And even today, actually, I think if you see some of her movies, like you don't expect a lot of what's coming out of, of those films. And she was at the time considered to be, or I mean, not at the time, she still is. A lot of people label her as like a feminist filmmaker. And not that there's anything wrong with being a feminist filmmaker, but I felt like that label on her kind of doesn't take away from her, but I think it makes people prejudge her movies in a way that isn't fair. Um, to me, her movies were just about women because she is a woman and she was writing from her own experiences. So she's writing about women from a woman's perspective. Um, about you know different social issues and how they affected women that's it and 
I always thought that she had my fa- my favorite movie from her is one called and excuse my French, uh, Le Bonheur, which means um, happiness. And it's a funny film because it's like it's a horror movie about happiness, um, which are two incredibly juxtaposing um, genres or ideas. And I feel like she would have been an absolute just perfect match for what A24 is today. And in fact, I'm sure a lot of the filmmakers who have worked under the A24 banner were probably inspired by her. Mm -hmm. I think that's a terrific pick because A24 doesn't have a ton of documentaries, but the ones that they do are fairly high profile. And I think Varda's documentaries are high profile enough, especially, you know, Faces Place is one of her last movies was, Mm -hmm. was a pretty big deal. One that I really love, but I also think her her new wave stuff early in her career, I think would also kind of seamlessly fit into this style as well, because it's, it's so experimental and unique, but such a clear imprint of the director's voice. So I think that's a fantastic pick. Yeah. And she's like, I, it was one of those things where I only really heard about her after she passed away. And I mean, so tragically, that's the way a lot of creative people careers kind of flourish is after they're gone. Um, but seeing kind of the outpouring after she passed away from directors that I really like who are working today and how much she influenced them. Um, yeah, she's an incredible director and anybody who's not familiar with her work, um, go watch them. Like Le Bonheur is a good movie. Uh, Cleo from five to seven. She did another Vagabond. That's a good one. And in terms of her documentary, she did a really, really cool one, which in English translates to like wall, wall. And in French, it was again, excuse my French, it's like murmur. And it's about graffiti art, like in LA. And it's very, very interesting and very compelling. And um, yeah, if you're into documentaries, that's a great one to look at too. What did you pick for this one? You you said you had a couple pretty cool choices. Yeah, I, I've settled it down to two. And I would not be surprised, frankly, if either of them end up uh, releasing films in the A24 banner in the in the future. Uh, and those choices are, are Park Chan-wook and David McKenzie. So, oh, very if, nice. Yeah, if anyone isn't familiar with Park Chan-wook, he's, he's most well-known for The Handmaiden. Uh, he has done, uh, I believe, one English film, Stoker, but he mostly uh, uh, does Korean cinema. And I love The Handmaiden. I loved how intricate of a plot it was. It was, it was a it was a mystery that was weaving in and out, but it was also like a very intense sexual and sensual film too. And so every once in a while it's really nice to like a movie like Zola where you can watch a movie with adult themes and sex mm-hmm. is involved and things like that because so much of cinema is so sanitized these days anyways. So it is nice that there is like some directors that are still sort of pushing boundaries and are able to be recognized and lauded for that. So I, I could definitely see Park Chan wook doing a, a crazy mystery thriller he's also really famous for doing old boy the original english uh the original korean one sorry not the english one um so i think i think that style would kind of work well in there because there are plenty of genre bending horror thriller mystery movies under the a24 banner and then my other pick being david mckenzie one of my favorite movies of the last few years is hell or high water the sort of neo-western crime thriller about two brothers robbing banks in Texas uh, and and the lawman that's kind of chasing after them, starring uh, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and uh, Jeff Bridges. And and so it's it's kind of like No Country for Old Men, but not really. It's definitely a lot more lighthearted than that movie, but definitely just as good and some really great 
insight and political commentary into the financial crisis of 2008. He also did uh, the Netflix movie Outlaw King with, with Chris Pine as well, which was uh, kind of mixed received, but I quite enjoyed it. So I, I think he would do a, you know, much like uh, David Lowry doing the Green Knight coming up soon. I think he would do a very interesting uh, period piece as well for, for A24. Those are really good choices. David McKenzie in particular, because like you said, he does like kind of period stuff. Well, he did one, but like it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to, you know, take that and not make it um, kind of the, the typical period film that we think of now, mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the Victorian era kind of British or French, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, that that's right. And Park Chan was an excellent, excellent, excellent choice. That's a great shout. He'd be great under A24 actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because they don't do. They also don't do a ton of uh, non-English films, but the ones yeah. that they do do are fairly high profile. And I think a Park Chan Wook movie would be a very high profile get for them, for sure. And I think you know it's a good point that you bring up that they don't do too many non uh, non-English movies. And I mean, it would make a lot of sense for them to kind of go into the the Korean um, realm just because of how popular and how hot Korean culture in general is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and people having discovering how good Korean cinema is, um, that would be a really, really cool collaboration to see. Thanks, Parasite. Yeah, was, yeah I know, right? <laughs> Parasite, it, it did a lot. It did a lot. It, it helped people, I think, um, expand their minds a little bit, which is great. All right. And then the last question is, what makes an A24 film? A very open-ended question that I don't think there is an answer, but I'm definitely curious to see what your thoughts are. My original answer to this, like the kind of my knee jerk reaction was it's edgy films, like weird movies, like, like the enemies of the world and um, just kind of really ambiguous, uh, strange films that you kind of come out, go like, what the hell did I just see? But you like it somehow. Like it's, it's not weird as in it's, it's bad. Like it's weird. Like it kind of just warps your mind a little bit and makes you think, but then a lot of their movies aren't that like when I was actually looking through the list of the movies, it's like, yeah, they have some like first cow is probably the most recent example of a movie. That's a bit off. And like, there's something odd about it, but yet still enjoyable and creative. But I think for me, it's like when I look at movies, like say room and moonlight, I wouldn't say those are particularly weird movies or zany offbeat kind of things, but they're very gritty very real very authentic dramas that show a life that's not in the mainstream like shows things that happen every day and and things that um and real stories and experiences that you know occur but maybe don't necessarily get the spotlight zola is another great example of that actually as being a, a very recent movie um you know we don't typically see work stories about sex workers in that light um, and A24, I think, does a good job of of doing the weird movies, but also doing the dramatics and the the stories that are just about real people that are, you know, I, I hate to repeat myself, but it's like gritty and raw. Like, I just feel like they're very authentic in their filmmaking. And that might be the best way for me to describe them. I think that that's a great way. For me, it's... Uh... I wrote this down as a bold vision, not heavily relying on CGI or effects and not afraid of adult dramas with modest budgets, while also having actors putting in deep character work and directors and writers being given the freedom to explore. That's great. 
I think the character one in particular, like having really deep character studies, mm-hmm. um, that's that's definitely a trademark of A24. And also too, like, like I, I like what you said about um, them allowing filmmakers to just do their thing. Like they don't have parameters around them saying like, you have to follow, don't, you can't do this and you have to do this. Like that, mm-hmm. that's, that's not, that's not A24 at all. That's very much so the opposite of, I guess what A24 has kind of found a niche in the industry in the worlds of the Warner brothers and the Disney um, and the Paramounts and stuff like that. Like they, they're able to, allow filmmakers to do whatever they want as crazy as it might seem to be. Yeah. As yeah. And I think they're also really filling in this missing gap, like a, a vacuum that exists in recent years where there's really no midsize budget drama films of, of multiple genres. You know, everything has to be a giant tentpole movie sort of thing or a franchise or based on existing IP and whatnot. And there's no room for a director who's really talented to just be like, Hey, I got this interesting little story. It's not going to cost a ton to make. I could probably get one or two big name actors to be in it because they'll get to actually do something interesting for the first time in a couple of years. And, uh, people will probably enjoy it and it won't cost a lot to make. And I, I think that's a real selling point for, for a company like a 24. Definitely. And I like, the the actor I'm, I'm thinking of when you as you were saying that was is Robert Pattinson, like he mm. was in um, Good Times with the Safdie brothers, and then the Robert Eggers movie Lighthouse, and those are two like, especially Lighthouse is a really weird movie, like it's so strange, but you know given the way Pattinson's career was going at one point, you wouldn't think that that's those are the kinds of movies that he would do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely like it's giving giving these. Oh, and Swiss Army Man, that, that's another um, great example for, for Daniel Radcliffe, who was also kind of in a similar boat to Pattinson, um, where, you know, they thought, well, you're Harry Potter, like you're whatever the guy's name from Twilight is, <laughs> whatever his name is, the vampire dude from, from Twilight. It's like you think that that's what it's that's your career now. That's what you're going to be doing or things like it. Um, and A24 get, gives them the ability to give filmmakers the ability to explore something different with those actors, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I thought it was different with her. And then poof. I don't want to be with you anymore. I can't concentrate. I think of her every minute. Whoa, Zing. Rewind. What did you do? She said she didn't want to be in the drawer with all the other girls. Well, obviously I totally agree with that. I'm lost. I have no idea what we're talking about. Look at that. All right. I think we should get into our main topic of discussion, which is a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan III. I'm going to run over some of the key details of this movie. Its release date was February 8th, 2013. It was directed by Roman Coppola. And it stars Charlie Sheen as Charles Swan, Jason Schwartzman as Kirby Starr, Bill Murray as Saul, Patricia Arquette as Izzy Swan, Catherine Winnick as Ivana, Aubrey Plaza as Marnie, with cameos from Dermot Mulroney as The Doctor, and Stephen Dorff as Stephen. Uh, as far as the plot summary goes, you know, I was going to write a bunch of stuff out about, and we could talk about how the plot was going and what it was all about, but uh, I decided to summarize it as Charlie Sheen is a drunken mess. <laughs> and then uh the last big thing is uh 
how did A24 acquire this movie? Well, like I said at the very beginning, this is A24's very first movie, and they were looking to buy the rights for their first film with uh, the Toronto International Film Festival 2012 being the first festival they went to as a company. They had their eye on getting A Place Beyond the Pines and Francis Ha, but they weren't able to acquire the rights for either of them. And then they later pivoted and managed to get the rights to Roman Coppola's second feature film uh, in a moment that looked like Charlie Sheen might have a comeback uh, during his infamous mental breakdown period after it had screened at the Rome Film Festival. Uh, Unfortunately, Charlie Sheen uh, later bailed on the premiere of the movie. So, yeah, that's how A24 acquired this film. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And then that's the story of how A24 acquired that film. And that's how Charlie Sheen flushed what remaining credibility he had down the toilet. The end. God. So yeah, this is this is such a tricky movie to kind of talk about because you've got Roman Coppola, who, if you don't know, he is the brother of Sofia Coppola, uh, the cousin of Jason Schwartzman, the son of Francis Ford Coppola. He has worked extensively with Wes Anderson. What's how how could this I, I, like I I don't even have words to say because like it's such an ambitious movie of of following Charlie Sheen playing this character named Charlie Swan which is basically himself and I'm not gonna lie it definitely took me about forty five minutes to realize that this movie is actually supposed to be set in the seventies not just that he dresses in that way uh, so I don't know if that's that is stupid or what no. Absolutely, I had the same thought. Is I knew that the movie was set in the seventies because I had just like I looked it up ahead of time, just like a, a brief synopsis. So I was like, okay, it's set in the seventies. But as I was watching, I go, oh yeah, this is set in the seventies. Like it took me a long time to kind of click into that because at first I thought maybe they do a flashback <laughs> to the seventies. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but you're ab- absolutely. I I missed the seventies bit at the very beginning, like because it just kind of seemed like. Like you said, like that's just the way he dresses. That's just the way yeah. Charlie Sheen dresses. I'm like, oh, um, and he likes old cars. Cool. Which I'm pretty confident Charlie Sheen probably does. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's, it's awesome. yeah. Like I'm, if you have the money, why not collect those things? And Charlie Sheen did have the money, or continues to have the money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely no. I don't think you're stupid at all for that. I think that that it's it's a weird thing where I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing like that. You kind of, you're not transfixed on the time period that it's set. Like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like how much does the seventies, does it being set in the seventies really matter to the movie in the end? Yeah, it it really doesn't like other than no one has a cell phone. There's, Mm, there's nothing that really matters that it takes place at any specific moment other than the aesthetic look of it. Yeah. And I and it's like I mean because fashion is so cyclical, like it didn't it didn't like he could literally wear I think all of those characters they could really wear those clothes today and nobody would really yeah bat too much of an eye at them and just like oh yeah they're just which and yeah. I I don't know maybe that's a good thing because you're not going overboard on oh it's the seventies guys like really pay attention to the fact that it's the seventies like yeah. there's just bits here and there that that indicate yeah we're we're in the seventies but you know we're not gonna go overkill so maybe it's a bit more realistic i mean neither of us lived through the 70s so maybe yeah. that's what the 70s were we just don't know maybe maybe but yeah so I'm, I'm definitely sort of curious to hear your your takes on this film because you'll watch it and it especially the more time that has passed it very clearly 
obviously at the time, but also even more so now, just a clear allegory of Charlie Sheen going through a breakdown himself. And then instead of it just being uh, him deciding that he hates Chuck Lorre and hates being on Two and a Half Men and decides to sue everyone that has ever lived and goes on a huge cocaine and porn star binge, they basically make it a little bit more movie compatible for this, where he goes on a weird drunken binge and he has health problems and he thinks his girlfriend is cheating on him, which uh, is weird because it's already acknowledged that he cheats on her all the time. So yeah. What, what are your thoughts on this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I, I hate, I really don't like, like ragging on movies too much because I think you know there's enough negativity about people nitpicking at movies and being like oh well this wouldn't really happen in real life like da 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 and I'm like come on it's a movie just enjoy it um, for the art form that it is so I don't like to try to be like too too negative about films but this one just felt very it's like it's so self-indulgent like from the very first scenes of charlie sheen and it's like picking through his brain and it's like well sex takes up this much of your brain women and like you know money and whatever and you're just looking you're like man like charlie what are you doing (laughs) and i don't know like that the best thing i can say about it is that it's just it's very self-indulgent and considering where coppola comes from like his background of you know his father his cousin his sister it's like I would have expected a little bit more from him as well, because I, I think, you know, the kindest thing I can say about the movie, it's like it feels like like somebody trying to make a Wes Anderson movie mm-hmm. and it's not a Wes Anderson movie. And mm-hmm. I and they have worked together a lot, like and he wrote a lot of, of Anderson stuff. But yeah, I, it's a it, like you said, it's a tricky film to talk about because it's it's literally just Charlie Sheen's life in a sense or or what his life maybe how he perceived his life to be then which maybe to some people is is a cool character study of of the man that was going through quite a breakdown at that time um and maybe that's interesting to some people but i i found it and we we talked about this a little bit um uh, just as we were chatting it was like it's a bit boring like it's a movie that's not like considering it's supposed to be about Charlie Sheen's life, you would think his life would be super exciting and like really, really like, wow, it's kind of boring. Like not really anything happens. Um, And I I don't begrudge a movie for not having something happen. Like I think that some great movies out there, not a lot happens. Like um, I, the one I always think of is like my neighbor Totoro where nothing happens in that movie. Really. There's no big turn. There's no climactic thing. It's just a movie. It's just an experience of something that, that happens in, over the course of a few days or a few months or whatever. And well, I guess this are is a, invested in the atmosphere though. And that's it's and very that's true. Yeah. And I don't, but is it, is it our, is it our own perceptions of Charlie Sheen where we're just like, this guy was we Cause you know, we were in the age group of, we did like kind of not grow up with two and a half men, but we were of an age where, it, you know, it was very popular for a time. And I don't know about you. I, I quite enjoyed two and a half men and i have to admit too i know you know can't really say nice things about charlie sheen these days growing up i really liked charlie sheen because he was in two of my favorite movies as a kid um which was hot shots and major league major league still being one of my absolute favorite movies i, I still you are a big really, baseball fan i am a big baseball fan and that movie in particular is absolute genius and 
I don't know if it's us putting like projecting our own the fall from grace that Charlie Sheen had as being a pretty like a really talented actor actually like really talented and he he did drama he did action he did comedy like he was very good and then all of a sudden maybe not all of a sudden I'm sure it was you know a very progressive thing that happened but he just crashed and burned in the most spectacularly glorious way you possibly could in Hollywood and I don't know if it's us projecting that onto him where we're just watching it being like, what the hell? Like if, if it wasn't Charlie Sheen doing it, would we think it's like a brilliant character study? I don't know. I think, I think my sort of counterpoint to that is I, I don't think Charlie Sheen was ever a great quote, quote unquote actor. Uh, I think like if you, if you look at him in, in wall street in major league and, and a, all of his most famous stuff, and when he was on Spin City, and, and later the the spinoff and stuff like that, uh, I think his the reason why he was so successful is that he was a very charming person, charming in a kind of smarmy way, where he knew he was smarter than you, cooler than you, more handsome than you. He can get more attractive women than you. That that sort of that was his appeal, sort of thing. And now, by this point in his career, that shtick has kind of worn off. Like, like we've seen you in the news. You're you're kind of schlubby now. You don't really have it all together. And some of the scenes where he's like trying to be running and be active and stuff like that, it just kind of looks painful to watch him. And so, <laughs> when you remove that sort of charm aspect from him, he's just a douchebag. And and you're watching yeah. this, and you're like, where where's this charm? That smart Alec charm that was so infectious in something like major league that, that works so well for that, that like you just could not resist this character and you really want to kind of stick it to the man and that sort of stuff. In this, you're just like, Oh my God, like, who are you? Like, I, I, I just have no sympathy for, for who you are as a person. And that, and that's basically what it boils down to for me. I completely agree with that. There's no, nothing redeemable about him. There was nothing likable, nothing to kind of hang your hat on. And, you know, even in a show like like Two and a Half Men, where he is playing a douchebag, he is playing a misogynist, mm. he is playing a womanizer, whatever you want to call him. Maybe it's not him, maybe it's the way the show is done, but it's like, it was played for humor. And it was quite mm. fun. Whereas this, I don't think was played for humor at all. Like, this seemed more, you know, dramatic and serious and like, oh, like, this is the mind of Charlie Sheen kind of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're you're right. Like it's he's just as it does for for everyone. Like the the kind of cute little things that you did when you were a kid, all of a sudden aren't so cute when you're a grown adult. And so the things that he was doing at twenty, thirty, probably even forty years old aren't so funny anymore. Like they're not as charming. They're not as um, they're not as compelling. And especially like you know, you're right. Like all of those, what was it like the tiger blood thing? Like you know, winning. The, Oh, it was so weird back then. Like to think of that too. It seems like a million years ago that all that stuff happened. I know. But it's like he was, he really, you know, something happened. Like something really went off in his brain. And, and, you know, from, we don't need to get into his personal life, but it's like he, a lot of shit happened. A lot of stuff went down with him. And it really put him out of favor in the public eye. Even and I mean even that, I'm sure there were a lot of people who didn't like Charlie Sheen anyways. Like they're who weren't as like they don't like Major League. They didn't like hot shots. They thought that he was this, you know, douchebag, like you said. And I mean he was. 
he was a douchebag, but he was a bit of a charming douchebag. And I, I, I mean, maybe it was too, you know, in two and a half men in major league, you have a good supporting cast around him, you know, people that can kind of help his character not be the only focus. Whereas in this one, I mean, Jason Schwartzman's character, I don't, I don't really know what his deal was. <laughs> he was very like just there. And then Patricia Arquette and um, Catherine Winnick, who I, I personally really like, but in this one, I mean, I just, it seemed like his supporting cast maybe in this one wasn't as strong. So it makes it his, it makes him and his shtick stand out that much more. Yeah. I guess, I guess to kind of like fill people in, because I, I imagine a lot of people have not seen this a bit more on the actual plot. Charlie Sheen, Charlie Sheen plays a character named Charlie Swan, who is a graphic designer. And his big project is that he has to come up with an album cover for the new comedy album for his good friend, Kirby played by Jason Schwartzman. And he kind of has a lot of dream hallucination sequences where it's just sort of him trying to find inspiration. And then in between them, it's kind of just what's going on in his life where his health is failing him and that sort of stuff. And it sounds like, it wasn't really clear what the relationship is with Bill Murray. I don't know if he's his lawyer or something like that. Some sort of advisor to him, whether he's <laughs> agent or lawyer, or what have you. But he makes him sign some legal documents, but he's also his confidant and friend. And then while he's in his hospital, he kind of reconnects with his sister, who is played by Patricia Arquette, who hasn't really been there in his life. But all this is at the same time that he has recently gotten out of a, a relationship where he was dumped by his girlfriend, Ivana, and he at the same time hates her but also wants to get back to her and even though he was cheating on her nonstop, uh he believes that she was cheating on him as well so there's it's weird like i'm talking about it and it sounds like there's a lot going on in this movie but there really isn't it, it's like i don't want to call it vignettes because it really isn't like the hallucinations are kind of like vignettes but the actual plot of the movie is just like okay now we're going to spend one scene on this and we're never going to talk about it again now we're going to go on to the next yeah. scene and we're never going to reference it again and then the next scene and sort of like that so it's just like very uh independent sections of this movie that really just has nothing that ties it all together for me yeah and i i think the biggest takeaway from it really is is that for all that is happening in the movie it at the end of it you don't feel like anything really happened like the way you just described the movie sounds like 10 times more interesting than what the actual movie is <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like you're you're like yeah it's like it's so wow like he's he loves her and he hates her and you know he's reconnecting with his sister and all this stuff. it's like it sounds great but mm-hmm. in actuality it, it and I, I don't know what it was like it it did feel like um like, for instance, I, I mean, no disrespect to Bill Murray, but I really felt like for his performance here, it just like he was just doing a favor for Roman Coppola. Oh, he almost. phoned that's, it in so hard. So right. Hard. Like, that's just what it felt like. Like, he, he, he was just there to for like a couple days just to be like, all right, like Coppola, I've, I've done it. Or maybe it wasn't even for Coppola. It was for like Wes Anderson. He's like, I've helped you out. OK, great. Now, like, I'd like to get paid now and <laughs> I'm going to be on my way. And like and it's. Yeah. And when we can feel that on the screen, like when we can see that, it's just like, if you didn't want to be there, why should I be watching this? And and Jason Schwartzman as well, where I have no idea what his character was doing. He's supposed to be this stand-up comedian, but I don't, I don't know if the writing just was that bad or he's actually a bad stand-up comedian. I, I, I don't get that at all. Like he was, he was a terrible stand-up comedian. Like I get this, 
this vibe that they were going for, that sort of 70s comic of, hey, let's make fun of my old lady because I hate being yeah. married sort of thing. Like, I get that was a shtick he was going for, but it, at least they could have made it funny. But I don't I don't know. Like, I, what was this character doing? I don't know. I'm going to, like, I just watched this movie last night and I completely forgot that his character was a stand-up comedian. I'll just say that right now. Like, I completely forgot that he, he was... He was a stand-up. Like it just like I feel like this movie's an incredibly forgettable film. And Schwartzman just feel like he just felt really random in the whole movie. Same with Patricia Arquette, too, who I really like. Like I like Patricia Arquette as an actress. But she felt random. Like they just felt very, very like like you said, it's not it's not joined. There's nothing connecting everything together. It just feels like a bunch of different things that happened and then they recorded it and then they just put it into a movie. And then that yeah. was that, and then that ended up being the movie, which I guess is any movie, but like, there's just, there's nothing connecting everything together. And there's, there's nothing, I don't know, there's nothing redeemable about any character. There was no interesting plot line that I was like curious to see how things turned out or anything like that. Like, that just didn't exist. And I think that when you mm-hmm. don't care about the characters, and in fact, you actively dislike the characters, all of them, not just like one of them. <laughs> it becomes very difficult to step back from the movie and be like, Oh yeah, that was a, that was a good one. Like that's, that's a, that's a good movie. And I don't know. Like, was it, could it have been Charlie Sheen? Like, did he have a relationship? I was trying to look this up to see if like, if they had a relationship, um, Charlie Sheen and Roman Coppola, if they had a relationship, which is why, you know, they decided to do this together as like a way of like, like you said, the redemption tour that he was, Charlie Sheen was trying to go on at the time. Um, so I, I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything because there's not very much written about this movie either. Um, it's it's pretty like desert land when you're trying to look for information about it because I, it just seems like nobody cared. I mean, Charlie yeah. Sheen didn't even care to show up to the premiere himself. So there you go. Like, I don't know. Yeah, the, it seems like the most notable thing about this movie is the fact that it was A24's first movie. Yeah. And and with the caveat of no, but it gets better. Like they they did better after, <laughs> right? Like yeah. going, and it's it's almost used as a punchline because like they were going really hard for Francis Ha at the time. Mm-hmm. Like they they really really wanted Francis Ha. And from like from what I I recall correctly, it was like I think Greta Gerwig and um, Noah Bomback. Bambach, Bomback, thank you. Um, they kind of made. I don't want to say promises to A24, but they really made it seem like, oh, like we're, we're going to go with you. Like mm-hmm. we got, but then just in the end, it just didn't work out. Like for, I'm sure many reasons it just didn't work out. So it does feel like this movie ends up being a bit of a, um, like a, like a punchline where it's, they wanted Francis Ha. They thought they were going to get Francis Ha and they ended up with Charles Swan. Like how hilarious is that? Like two different movies completely separate and one did exceptionally well and this one will be forgotten if not for the fact that it was a24's first movie yeah it more than anything it's like uh, a pub quiz question at this point that's all it is <laughs> that's, that's a really good way to put it that's a really yeah. good way to put it it's just yeah it's and there is nothing redeemable about it like that's i think that's the unfortunate thing about it and I, like as somebody who who did like Charlie Sheen as an actor growing up. Like I, I did like watching him cause I thought he, he's funny. He's charming. Like, you know, he was in some movies that um, I, I quite enjoyed. And so then seeing him like this, it's like, Charlie, what are we doing here? There's just, mm-hmm. there's nothing, there's nothing to take from the movie, which is unfortunate. 
I think my final sort of parting thoughts on this is this movie is neither abstract enough to be truly interesting in that in the sense of like this movie is weird i don't know what it's going for but i'm on its wavelength it it doesn't go far enough but then on the flip side it doesn't give you enough plot to latch on to really care about any of the characters and so when you're trying to straddle those two lines of hey we're an abstract fantasy movie comedy and we're also a family drama movie but they never really pick one strong enough and so both kind of suffer that's my sort of my my final takeaway of this is it's just bland it's boring because it doesn't commit to anything very well said couldn't say it better myself very very well said when you don't commit to anything like it's there's no plan and when there's no plan like it's obviously you're going to come up with a bit of a dumpster fire kind of movie which this was and then add on like the fact that it, it is a very self-indulgent film, which I don't think there's any movie out there that isn't or that is self-indulgent that the audience isn't able to see right through it. And that's already a huge turnoff too. When when you see something that you know that like the actor, the director, whoever it is, it's just it's just such an ego project. And that's not an attractive quality in a film. I could not imagine watching this movie when it first came out because like <laughs> I remember during his whole breakdown stuff, I had to block I, I, I installed an extension on my browser to block winning in Tiger Blood from showing up <laughs> anywhere because it was just so annoying. So I would like it's it would be funny scrolling through Twitter back when you would do that on your computer. Um yeah. and like entire tweets would literally be blocked out and I, so I physically could not see them. So it was very interesting at the time or news stories that would pop up. And I could not imagine watching this when it came out and just being like, oh yeah, Charlie Sheen is such a sympathetic character. You know what? He didn't mean to bang all those porn stars and do all that cocaine and piss everyone off. That's actually a really good point too, is that it, it's meant to be something like a redemption story for Charlie Sheen to get us back into his good graces or for for him to be back in our good graces rather. And it definitely doesn't do that. Like it doesn't, there's no sympathy there. Like there's nothing yeah. that if that was their goal for the whole movie, a hundred percent, they did not succeed in, in achieving that because yeah, I remember that time too. It's like, you couldn't go like he was all over the news. I mean, not just like entertainment tabloids. Like he was on the, the main news channels as well, like CNN and all that. Like they were talking about him because he was so berserk at the time. Um, and it is tragic. Like, I mean, it's a bit of a tangent, but it's like seeing everything that we now know with Britney Spears, but it's like back in 07, she was also all over the papers and all over the news about everything that was going on. But she actually does cut a, sympathetic figure today mm-hmm. and maybe and even back then i think if, if we all had actually stopped and you know looked past all the nonsense in the tabloids i think we all would have felt bad for her at the time yeah. for what was going on whereas charlie sheen it was very it felt like it was it was his own doing like it was his own making that put him into that position whereas with mm-hmm. britney i mean i think the media con- contributed quite a bit to what happened what would end up happening to her um so yeah, it's 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 a funny thing now like looking back where I think nowadays people are a lot more sympathetic to public breakdowns like this and mm-hmm. um you know when we talk because now the discussion about mental health even from now from 2012 2013 like the discussion is very very different and I think it's clear that Charlie Sheen something was off with him something was wrong with him and he did need some help but 
he wasn't helping his own situation at all. And I, I think like even today, we're still not very compassionate towards him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it was such a weird era because I think like, I don't really want to get too far into this, but like the, the dynamics of, of gender come huge into mm-hmm. play, you know, Britney yes. Spears, it's like, Oh, it's just a woman being crazy sort of thing. Whereas Charlie Sheen was, Oh, he's such a bad boy. Look at him go sort of thing. Let's see what crazy thing he'll say next. So it was very much of a, a morbid curiosity with Sheen. Whereas it's like, uh, a pitying of Britney Spears, but not a pitying of let's help her. It's just a pitying of, oh, ha ha, look at, look at her sort of thing. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. Yeah. All right. I, I, it's, this movie is, is really tough to, to, to talk about because there, there isn't a lot going on. And, and just for the most part, it's just very bland. So I don't really have anything else to say. And I don't know if you have any final parting thoughts, but if you, if you don't, then we can kind of move on to the our last little fun section of, of the show. No, I think I think we've covered everything with this movie. Awesome. So one uh, one thing that we're going to be doing is after we review all of these movies, we're going to do two little fun stuff. One of them, the first thing that we're going to do is name a double pairing for this movie, but it can't be with an A24 movie. So, you know, if you pick a director that they have a movie in the filmography, that's fine, but this specific movie that you're pairing it with cannot be in the A24 catalog. And I'm not saying that it has to be an exact one-to-one. The plot is sort of the same. Just, hey, if you were to recommend this movie, what would be a second one that you would recommend to someone? So, Rachel, what's your pick? So, I'm going to go with Lost in Translation. And the reason for that is we're going to keep within the Coppola family, but we're going to do a good Coppola movie. And I think Lost in Translation is Sofia Coppola's pro- it's, it's her best movie. And it's also a movie about, it's not about Bill Murray, and Bill Murray is also in it, which is a, co- a coincidence, but it's, it's a movie about like an actor, an actor who is struggling and a bit, I don't want to say lost because that sounds very, I don't mean to be like lost in transit. He's lost. <laughs> he's, he, he's in a point of his life. Like you could call it a midlife crisis. You call it whatever it is. And to juxtapose that with Charlie Sheen's or Charles Swan, whatever you want to call it, um, it's basically a good version of what Charles Swan, I think, probably was hoping to be. Something like that, painting a sympathetic character for someone who maybe isn't the nicest person in the world, maybe had a bit of a, um, I don't want to say a torrid background, but, you know, not the the most clean cut background let's put it that way and i think lost in translation if you watch charles swan first lost in translation would be a really great tonic to that train wreck of a movie that's maybe like a nice smooth whiskey for relaxing times make it suntory time yeah, exactly. Just, just something really to take the edge off of what mm-hmm. what you just saw. You can watch something better. Yeah, nice, a nice glass of Santoro whiskey. <laughs> that's, I think, that's a fantastic pick and uh, a much better movie than than Charles Swan the Third. And I think you probably will agree with mine as well. And I, we we clearly were thinking on a similar wavelength. And mine is the Royal Tenenbaums. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So while no one from the Coppola family is involved in this movie, <laughs> Roman is a frequent writing partner and a second unit director of Wes Anderson's films. Uh, Jason Schwartzman has also appeared in six of 
of the 10 Wes Anderson movies. But Bill Murray does appear in the Royal Tenenbaums uh, about a dysfunctional family that has its quirks, a strong family bond, and it takes place in the 70s, sort of also another kind of movie that uh, is a little difficult to place at times. But yeah, uh, very similar to to your reasoning for Lost in Translation. It's a much better movie. It's got comedy, dark comedy. It's got the drama. There's some interesting quirks to it. So I, I think... Either of those movies would be a great double bill pairing. So, you know, maybe just don't watch Charles Swan the Third and just watch Lost in Translation and the Royal Tenenbaums. I was actually going to say, I think any movie, literally, you could pair it with it and it would be fine because you just need a movie that is better than that movie, than the Charles Swan mm-hmm. movie. And I think it could possibly save. You could, like, you could watch the Titanic for all I care. And I think you would be, it would be better. It would, you would feel mm-hmm. better after watching that. Uh, Royal Ten Bombs. That's a great shout, though. That's that's really good. That's like there's a lot of lines too. Like you said, very similar to kind of my thinking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the last little fun thing we're going to do is a little Would You Rather game. So this is going to really differ from movie to movie, where it's not always going to line up exactly. But I think it's just a fun little thing to do. Uh, do you have a Would You Rather scenario for me? Yes, and um, you're going to have to you know, put yourself in the position of a woman, but okay. would you rather be Charles Swan slash Charlie Sheen's girlfriend or his mistress? Oh, oh, that's interesting. You know what? Uh, I'm going to say mistress. Okay. I'd agree and, with that. And, and my rationale being is uh, I don't think I could put up with his bullshit day in and day out and, if you're his mistress, you are already aware that he at least has one other woman. And mm-hmm. so if he ends up having other mistresses, you know, that's something that would probably be a little bit easier to deal with. And you're probably more likely to be showered with with gifts or, or things like that, as opposed to his girlfriend, where you're just having to, you know, pick up other women's uh, dirty underwear and find their diaphragms. Oh, God. That was such a weird, that was such an odd addition to that, like, diaphragm. I was like, what? Why is there a diaphragm? And they went back to that a few oh. times as well. I'm just like, why, yeah, I know. why is the diaphragm <laughs> such a significant plot point? I think they were trying to be like, in the 70s, this was a really popular form of birth control. Because <laughs> today, not as much. But back then, yes, it really was. Um, I would agree with that, though. I think the mistress is a better route if you're dealing with him. Because I think you mm-hmm. get probably the benefits of dating somebody in Charlie Sheen's status, if you will, if you want to call them benefits, um, without too much emotional uh, devastation. Yeah, that's exactly it, really. That, that's, the, that's the crux of it. Yeah. What about you? Did you have a would you rather? I do. Uh, so both of these situations, you don't know how it's going to turn out. So it's only the first part of the the action that you really have to go on. Obviously, this isn't exactly how the movie plays out. You know how it turns out. But would you rather break a window at the publishing company that turned down your sibling to publish their book? Or would you use listening equipment to spy on your partner to see if they've cheated on you and you don't know whether or not they actually did or not until after you agree to doing that. God, a hundred percent. I would rather break a window for my, for my brother for his lost dreams. Yes. (laughs) I would, I would much rather do that because at the very least it's kind of something positive that you're doing out of love for your sibling. Cause you're, 
you know, in a very twisted way. I mean, I wouldn't recommend anybody doing that, but it's at least you're doing it from a good place. Whereas the other one is out of just, you know, insecurity, jealousy, envy, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I, I think. I think that's a good one. I think for me, this is a little tricky because uh, Charlie barely got away from the cops uh, after Fair. throwing a brick through the window and he is not athletic at all, even though the movie tried to make him out to be. <laughs> um, but as far as listening onto your partner, I'm not a jealous person at all, but I feel like if I got to that point where I have so much possible proof and this was the, you needed the final actual hard evidence, that might be the the last thing where it's just like, all right, I'm like 90% certain. I just need that confirmation. You know what? I respect that choice. I really respect that choice because I don't think too yeah. many people would want to say like, yeah, no, I would totally do that. But you're right. If you're at, if that's the last resort, if that's all you need to say, yes, a hundred percent, they are cheating on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. I get where you're coming from. And then you find out just Steven Dorf and you're like, Oh, whew. well, I was going to say, I, I think clearly this shows, I just, I love my brother more than you love your brother. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's where this comes. That's what this comes down to. I think. Basically. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I think that sort of wraps up our, our first A24 retrospective. We talked about a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan III. We don't recommend it. Maybe if you enjoy hate watching something, maybe if you've been drinking a little bit, it's probably maybe fun to like make fun of with your friends. Although there just really isn't a lot to grasp onto. Like it's not even like a good, bad movie. It's just a bland, say, boring, yeah. bad movie. <laughs> I was like, because like, if you if if you're gonna get drunk or get high or whatever and want to like hate watch something, you could watch like the first movie that I thought of was Room. You know, not or sorry, The Room, yeah. right? It's the, the Room, room not the room, not yeah. the A twenty four Room. Don't don't watch that drunk. That's that would be very sad. But just like the the silly you know Room or The Room movie, that to me at mm-hmm. least is like it's so bad. And because the, the thing is, the film isn't bad in that way. Not in the same way that The Room is bad. Like that, the room is bad because it's just a really poorly made movie. This isn't necessarily poorly made, it's just, but like you said, like there's nothing to really make fun of about it other than just watching it, being like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah, you're if you're drunk or stoned watching this, you're probably more likely to fall asleep. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> laugh your ass off. That's very true. Yeah, you just you just fall, mate. But hey, okay, so if you are someone who struggles with sleep someone who you know <laughs> you you just you find it very difficult to, to kind of rest your mind at night and and get some good shut eye this might be a movie for you because this could actually yeah. probably put you to sleep because you're, you're just not going to pay attention yeah well, i agree well i think that was that was a really still a really fun first episode i'm excited to go deeper into the a24 filmography like i said to to fill in the gaps that i've missed and also revisit ones that i really love uh and I, i'm so happy we're now doing this rachel same. I'm really glad because there's quite a few like like um, Last Black Man in San Francisco, for example, that I've always wanted to watch. And it's even better to have this platform with you that I can watch it and then also discuss it with somebody. That's uh, awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Rachel, uh, where can listeners find more of your work and, and what have you been working on recently? Uh, you can find the bulk of my stuff at rachelkh.com. Um, most recently, I did an interview with Asia King, who is the real-life Zola of, speaking of A24, of the new movie Zola that just came out this week. 
Um, so I did an interview with her for Exclaim. So you can find that on exclaim.ca. Awesome. Yeah, I, I read it. I loved it. Uh, I'm going to link it in the show notes as well. And, and hopefully for people that have been seeing that movie that they go in and read the article afterwards as well, because it's, it's a lot of fun. But uh, make sure you follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And if you've seen the first film distributed by A24, I don't know why you would have, but uh, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all the episodes there as well. And thank you for checking this out. Mm-hmm.